We're now going from Jesus having made his public pronouncements, given everyone the public chance, and that's it. Now he's hunkering down with the twelve in order to pour himself out to them, to equip them to ultimately be the solution to change the world. Now, they're just simply the messengers of that solution. Jesus is the solution itself, himself. And what, what a beautiful way to transition into the sacrifice, the giving himself away to every one of us so that we will not live lives of hopeless despair with anxiety anticipating what awaits us, but rather with hope-filled, joyful anticipation, waiting for the Christmas Day presents all to be brought before us of all of eternity. He has affected all of that so that we walk through the rest of our days on earth completely differently. And now we end up the night before that sacrifice, the Passover meal, the intimate gathering, the most important night on the, of, of any meal on the Jewish calendar. This is your Thanksgiving, your Christmas Eve, your Christmas afternoon meal. If you do a, Thanksgiving, a January 1st Black Eyed Pea meal and your grandmother's and your mother's birthday and they all fall on the same day. It begins to approximate what the Passover Seder was like. And imagine not going home to be or not having your, your family or forsaking your family. If your family was having a meal that was scheduled that day. And Jesus, instead of being with his family on this day, grabs his guys and gathers with them. This is an astounding picture that we've got here. Let's turn over to John 13. And read this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's an interesting phrase. It is the idea of loving them to ultimate perfection. Loving them to the extent to which love has reached its ultimate expression through human form. This is a love that is being poured out here. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing. He says that a lot to Peter, by the way. But later you will understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. 
for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not every one of you. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. My first point today is, afterward, you will understand. You know, Jesus says that, of course, right in the middle. You don't realize right now what I am doing, but lately, a matter of fact, very quickly, you will understand all that I've done. But it was clear that they did not understand. As a matter of fact, in Luke's gospel, in verses 23 and 24, this same situation seems to be happening because in verse 23, Jesus has, 22, has just told them that somebody here is going to betray me. And the next verse, verse 23, that all, all 12 are so riddled with insecurity that they begin to say to one another, do you think it's me? Could, could I be the one? Or maybe you're the one. Or maybe you're the one. And they spend a good bit of this dinner having that sort of interaction with one another, speculating who could be so dark that they would betray their, their guy, their rabbi, their master, their deliverer right here. And then the, without a pause, this is astounding what is in our hearts. Without a pause, from verse 23 to 24, the very next verse then says, And a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. That's what happens when we're focused on self. We go from, I stink, I think I might be the betrayer, to, I think I might actually run this thing. But nothing makes sense or has clarity when it is based in and of the fragility of ourselves. And if our lives are in any way being founded on what we've got, well, we're headed into pendulum swings throughout the rest of our life that are going to only become more and more pronounced and more and more destructive as we run from insecurity to rampant pride to just bizarreness. Rather than to have a centered, beautiful foundation in something way beyond ourselves. And that can only be in in Christ. But the important part here is that afterward, you will understand. Because while they're all kind of wondering about the pecking order and pride of position and having kind of gotten off kilter by that, you know, because in the Passover Seder, there, there is sort of a, a, a structure of the way that the meal goes. And there is a kind of a master who sits in the seat of honor. That would be the father of a home. He would then field questions, especially from the sons, who would ask them to explain this night and why is this night unlike any other night. But as that Seder or that program is unrolled, what becomes clear is the, the, the standing of each person at that dinner. Even their seating would, would say that as well. They're wrapped up in this, even though they are in the midst of the greatest model of greatness and power 
all embodied in one person in the history of the world. They have that. They have him sitting amongst them. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus gets up and disrobes himself, has a towel that, as, as I've best been able to understand it from, from, from some of the uh, uh, contextual uh, authorities on this, that it was a towel that would have been wrapped about him and also long enough that would also be over his shoulder. And he would have taken this towel, but it would also have been the distinctive garb of a slave. Even Jewish rabbis would teach that if you have a servant in your home who is Jewish, it is not permissible for that servant to wash anyone's feet. That activity is so debased that it wouldn't be proper for, for a Jewish servant or even slave to engage in it. And it was in many municipalities even illegal. However, if you had a Gentile, well, maybe, maybe that, that would be the, and then off it was. It was, it was a Gentile servant who would, who would do the washing of feet in any of these situations. But that's how deeply, not just humbling, humiliating that, that would be. And here we have Jesus in the seat of honor, suddenly standing up from perhaps teaching about the Passover Seder and disrobing himself, wrapping the towel, dressed not too unlike he'll be dressed a day from now with just a loincloth about him and humbling himself to show a model of servitude. There's no story like this in all of Greco-Roman literature from that era or any other era. This is so unthinkable to anyone that it's absolutely unrelatable to any culture in that time whatsoever. Well, for one, we don't have feet that are as filthy as feet would have been at that time. I right, said, so okay, washed feet, you know, no, no big deal, right? I mean, well, sure, we're, we're, we're showering, we're bathing. We've, we, we've got athlete's foot cream that's, uh, you know, taking care of us. There's none of that. There's just foulness going, going on there. And on top of that, it's a very hot place where you'd be you know, qu quite sweaty, a very dusty place. So combine the combination of yeast and sweat and mud all kind of mixed together and you've got this. And then you have Jesus getting down on his knees in order to provide this service to show what love can really look like. And that when you give yourself away and remove your own reputation, your own standing, your own worrying about where, to, where am I? In the, hey, wh where am I in, in this group as I'm here? I, I see a lot more people coming up here to speak now that we're a smaller region. Why haven't I been asked to perhaps pontificate on all of my Bible knowledge? Surely that's going to be happening soon. I bet it probably, probably today even I'll, I'll be asked for that. See where that goes. It's very easy to get our worth and our affirmation based on any of those ugly externals that we want to attach to ourselves and really kind of put the badge on ourselves rather than enjoy the ultimate badge of Jesus's blood that's been applied to us. But Jesus busts all of that up. Who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves, Jesus says in, in Luke's gospel. 
Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. Who is greater? The regional manager at the head of the table at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, who has the platinum plum card and is able to lay it down and, and pay for everyone there? Or the busboy, whose English is still developing, that's grateful to have that job, to be able to clean off the crumbs and the, and, and the plates from that table. Who is greater, Jesus says. And Jesus says, I'm here as the busboy. I'm here to serve. Everything up is down. Everything that you have put in your mind of what is power, what is greatness, what is having arrived, throw it out. You know what makes you great? It's giving yourself away. Serving without limits. Loving without limits. Then you'll know what it is to have really, truly arrived. Jesus debases himself in, in this situation for, for all of that to be the case. But again, he, he also says in the midst of this, afterward, then you'll understand. Why? Because... This is merely part of Jesus's character that is about to be played out fully and ultimately just a few hours later. Just a few hours after this, he's going to be ripped from these 12 by guards and hurled into a debasing and a service and a busboy servitude that is far beyond this, that he will truly serve us. Serve us in the way that we need to be served. Serve us in the one thing that's not mentioned at any of these dinners as a lamb. Every one of us needs a lamb. In this Jewish setting, if you had sin and it was feast time as it is right here, it's the Passover feast. Well, then your sin has required that you present a lamb without blemish. Everyone needs a lamb and to present it at the temple or else there is no reconciliation to God in that old covenant. Of course, that old covenant is merely peeking at what is to come. And you need a lamb, a lamb who will give himself up completely for you so that you can be washed, delivered, redeemed, set right, set high and exalted because one has given everything that they had. You have that lamb. That lamb is Jesus. This act of servitude is a, is a difficult one for sure, but it is nothing compared to what he's going to do just hours from now. But here's why this is so important that this happens right before what happens the next day. And, and it gets to my next point. I must wash you. This is such an important point because Peter, of course, when put into the position of being served by Jesus, being delivered by, by Jesus, even in this small setting, that, that he would be the one to wash the feet. He would want, be the one to make sure that protocol is completed at, that, at this gathering. Peter, of course, no, 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 no. Don't you dare. Don't you dare wash my feet. I could never have that. This is completely inappropriate. I would never want that of you. I would hate for you to debase yourself for me. Please don't do so. And I think there's one thing to imagine Jesus kind of 
humbling himself out and washing his feet. And it's another thing of imagine being the 12th. And if you've ever been part of any sort of a kind of a foot washing ceremony, you know that it's actually a whole lot easier to be the person washing the feet than the person having their feet washed. Why? Because it's, it's so intimate. It's so vulnerable. And you're like, and it just seems like everything's just awkward and no, I don't, I don't want this. And you know, and that, that's often the way that I think we can be with Jesus. Right? It's, as I, I often call it the, do you want coffee metaphor? Right? If I were to, if I were to say, yeah, Aaron, you know, that's a, that's a great welcome you had today. And um, man, thanks for everything. Hey, do you want me to get you a cup of coffee? You know, no, 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 come on, no, 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 you're up there, it'd be awkward, don't, don't, don't kind of disrupt the whole service just to go get me a, a cup of coffee, right, but, but you know what, I'm, I'm getting Josh a cup of coffee, anyway, I'm getting Brian a cup of coffee, then what does Aaron say at that point? Well, if you're going to get it for Brian, you're going to get it for Josh, well then, go ahead and get me the cup of coffee, okay, so, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to get the cup of coffee, but, do not diffuse the love of God. I'm not going to get a cup of coffee, but I am going to ask Gwen and Lindsay and Paul Ellenfelt and Richard McFarland to come on up. Can I say, I don't even know what's about to happen. <laughs> but in my mind, just to... Let me just go ahead and take all the wonder away. <laughs> to realize what it's, what it's like to have that experience with Jesus, to be the washi, so to speak, to have him have that kind of one-on-one -on -one love for you. It's so important that this precedes the cross in John's gospel, because the worst thing that could ever happen for any of us is to diffuse Jesus's love with the, well, if you're going to do it for Paul, well then go ahead and throw me in there as well. Jesus looks straight at Peter to say, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And to realize, yes, every one of us required Jesus, not just to love us in this way, but to love us in a much greater way. We'll save you to last, Richard, since... Gwen, <laughs> I just want you to know that one, I'm a little bit scared right now before you. But secondly, I want you to know that because of his great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive with Christ, even when you were dead in your transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved, Gwen, through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. And you, Gwen, are God's masterpiece, created in him, in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Paul, well, as, as I wash your feet, I, I know what Jesus would want you to know is that, but know this, the Lord says, he who created you, Paul, he who formed you, Paul, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the fires and the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze, Paul. It's Isaiah 43. Lindsay, I think Jesus would want you to know 
that the spirit you receive does not make you a slave. The spirit that makes you receive instead wants you to live never in fear of dread. But rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And Lindsay, Jesus loves you as his sister, and God loves you as his daughter. And Richard. Richard, I know that God wants you to know that the Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves you. He takes great delight in you, and in his love, he will no longer rebuke you. But instead, Richard, he rejoices over you with singing. And for all of us who have been washed, even for those up here that have been washed, we also know that Jesus says, I have I've set all of us an example, that is, as he has loved us, so we are to go and to love and to serve. Thanks. This is no small statement that Jesus makes here. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And I think for, for every one of us, as, as we sit here and imagine that Passover Seder, that scene, as it would have played out for them, but also that love that he wants us to know plays out for us. And it plays out for us on the cross. It plays out for us in a greater act of debasement, a greater cleansing of greater mess in our lives. This is not about athlete's foot or dust or sweat or any of that. It is the foulness of my pride. The very thing that made the devil the devil that I appropriated to myself when I wanted to assert myself or not take someone's feedback to me because I was defensive and, and thought that I knew better or, or perhaps my, my ego was being hurt or even the, the seductions that I perpetrated upon innocent women to lie to them and convince them to, to engage in an awful activity that would have grieved Jesus to no end. And, and yet Jesus is cleansing all of that intimately, fully, wonderfully. But unless he washes us, we have no part in him. And, and, and unless we recognize that I require the washing, we won't even receive the washing. I require the washing. I, I hate the fact that I would not just have to sit and intimately be washed by one of greatness, humbling themselves, humiliating themselves, because there's no one else to wash my feet. But I also hate that I've required a lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The very way this gospel began, when Jesus was first introduced in John 1.29, the herald, the great job of John the Baptist, was to tell us all, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And thus we have that before us right now. When you think about the cross, this should come to mind as well. The cross is yours. The cross is you and Jesus. 
the cross is intimate. In his infinite capacity to have thoughts for you that outnumber the grains of sand of the earth, Psalm 139, he has an infinite capacity to pause, reflect upon you, the apple of his eye, grieve your sin, but love you to your depths and desire to do nothing than to raise you to the heights. And he does so by completely emptying himself for your very sake. You need to be washed. If you're looking for Jesus, if you're looking for God as you're seeking him right now, don't look up there. Look down at your feet. That's where he's at. Look at the cigarette butts and marijuana butts that are strewn across the ground. Look at your clothing that you allowed to fall from your limbs and pile up on the ground as you decided to take your clothes off for that boy as you seduced that girl. As you look to the lies that have no ability to soar, but only to land with a thud in ugliness, look to the ground. Look to your feet. That's where Jesus is. That's where he is, ready to serve you, ready to wash you. And of course, as he says, if you've not been washed, you have no part in him. The gospel earliest interaction is with Nicodemus, where Jesus says something close to this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of water and spirit. That's the the beautiful connection we have to this washing that he is providing to us. He washes us. Receive the washing so that you can participate in the great upside downness of life in Christ. And finally... Jesus, of course, brings us home here with now do just as I have done. My point three. Jesus says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Do what Jesus has done for you. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's 1 John 2, 6. But don't make the mistake of trying to do it on your own steam. You need to have the same recognition that Jesus had that allowed him to get up from the seat of honor and end up in the place of the slave, Gentile slave. How is it that he was able to do that? And how is it that you're able to do that? Well, if you've been washed in him, then you should understand what he understood. Look at, look at what it says back in verse two, uh, verse three. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. How is it that you're going to be able to do these things? How can you... Now, with confidence, give yourself away, empty yourself so that your life will now be a life used not to your own end, but for the great service of all people that Jesus so dearly wants to be reached by him. How is it that your life is part of God's cosmic plan? How is it that you can have a significance that would blow you away when you were in middle school, middle school, taking your aptitude test, thinking what it was that you were going to be someday? Probably on your aptitude test, what did not come up was you will change the world. 
But if you understand who you are as you sit here right now, and you've been washed by Him, well then, that is not just your aptitude, that is now your commission. It's already been charged to you. It is what you get to do with the rest of your days and with the rest of your life. You're not some sort of insignificance that ends up in the ash heap of history. You are instead, praise God, in the community that is gathered together to make the ultimate difference for God. But there's no way for any of us, even communally, any of us, to have any effectiveness in that unless we also know where we've come from, what God has done for us, and the authority that he has given, and where it is that we are going. Jesus knew where he had come from, and where he was going, and what he had the authority to do. You need to understand where you've come from. You've come from being washed by Jesus, by this intimate love. It's not a mistake. It's not some sort of random haphazard, oh, you snuck in when you, you should have actually been barred by the bouncer at the door. This is God's chosen destiny for you. And he grabbed you and embraced you and washed you. He wants you to have the security of securities of knowing that that is who you are. That is who we are together. And now together, we are going somewhere. We are headed to a great new earth and new heaven. We're headed to eternal life. Not just to trying to eke out our best life now. Our best life is not now. Because you don't only live once. You have the age to come. And YOLO SHMOLO. You've got so much more that is coming your way that all of this fades into a rounding error of whatever happens in this life. But what it does do is it allows you to live your best life now. Because your even greater life is coming. So have no worries about emptying yourself. Playing the fool. Being humiliated. Having to be disregarded. Having to, to have your reputation diminished by, by others who look at you living for this greater, grander purpose. But when you know this, you're unstoppable. Because it's not just you, it's us. When we know this, and we recognize that one to another, we're unstoppable. Unstoppable for what? To love without limits. That's our charge, to love without limits. To do as I have done, Jesus said. And our life to the full challenge. Remember who you are, where you're going, so that you can humble yourself and love without limits. Let's, as each and every week, as we look at this, this gospel message, let us not just kind of be, well, wow, that was interesting, and let it bounce off of us. We need to appropriate this. This is why the Holy Spirit has given us narrative after narrative of these hand-curated stories of Jesus' life to lay not in our souls, not into our laps, but in our souls and into our hearts and into our minds and into our consciousness. This is to inform us of who we together are and what it is that we are really meant to do. We are meant to have nothing that restrains us. Because once self is taken out of the picture, there's nothing that we cannot do. And we are the body of Christ. Let's go and do likewise. Amen. Amen.